Amen. You all may be seated. All right. Hey, open up your Bibles. Turn on a Bible. But get to James chapter 5, looking at verses 7 through 12. Now, this message was actually supposed to be preached two weeks ago, but a snowstorm decided to show up. And then last week, Dusty preached uh, verses 13 through 17. Now, how many of you know I can't skip this, though? All right. I can't be like, well, a snowstorm showed up, so obviously God didn't want that preached. No, um, I still have to go back and preach it. Now, as we dive into this text, um, what you're going to see is that James is repeating himself, and he's addressing these people about the topic of suffering. Okay, He's, he's already addressed this once, in chapter one, but now as he's beginning to wrap up his letter to this, these churches or to a church, particular church, we don't know if it was many churches or, or one church, but um, he's, he's talking to these Christians about suffering and he, he's wrapping it up again and he's kind of nailing this, hitting this nail again. And, and as I thought about that, because, you know, this is, I'm echoing is, can we, that's going to, that's going to, there we go. Ah, Cause that, that's just me. That's my, that's my um, like ADD stuff. I'm like that, that's going to bother me. So um, you and I, it, this is actually the 19th part of going through James. So it's been 19 weeks. All right. And we got one more week to go. So 20 weeks. How many of you know, it didn't take the people to read this 20 weeks. All right. It may have taken them two minutes. And so James would have started his letter um, talking about suffering. And now here he is again, wrapping it up, talking about suffering. And you got to almost wonder what people have been like, why is James repeating himself? The reason is, is because these people, guess what they were? Suffering. Okay. Because if you remember in chapter one, it says that they were scattered, they were dispersed. So they were in their homelands, and because of the suffering, the persecution they were experiencing, they had to leave, and, and they had to go to other homes, and they lost their jobs, they lost family, they, they were dispersed. And so James is continuing to hit home the importance of what to do when you're suffering. And I think that's so important, and I think James repeats himself, and how many of you know the book of James isn't the only book in the Bible that talks about suffering? Paul talks about it quite a bit. Jesus talked about it quite a bit. The Bible just talks about suffering and persecution and pain and trials a lot. And I believe the reason is that the Bible communicates this so much to us as a church, to Christians, is because trials and pain and suffering have a very unique way of hurting and bringing pain into our life. And, but, but the problem is, if we're not careful... The suffering that we go through, the trials, the pain, how many of you know that has a way of crippling you spiritually? Okay? And I think the Bible repeats itself and reminds us over and over and over that you're going to suffer. You're going to go through trials because when we go through it, we're okay for about three minutes. But when it endures and it goes on and on and it's hard and it's, it's devastating and the pain is real, that's when all of a sudden we can become discouraged and we can become, you know, um, distracted in our faith. It, it can cause us to doubt God. 
And for some people, and maybe you know people, maybe you've even been here, it can actually cause us to walk away from God. Where we get to a point where we're just like, I, I just can't do this anymore. And so the Bible talks about this so much, so that way we won't walk away from the Lord. We won't get to a point where we're just like, we throw our hands up and go, if this is what being a Christian is about, I don't want it anymore. And so James is repeating himself here. Now, he's talking about in our text here what we are to do when we are suffering. If you recall, let me refresh your memory in chapter 1. The very first thing, right out of the gate, Paul says, hey, when you're going through various trials, when you're experiencing the suffering, when you're going through all these things, here's what I want you to do. Count it all joy. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? How do I count it all joy when I'm suffering the health crisis, when I'm going through the financial crisis, when my marriage just, just ended, when I ha- had a death in the family? How, how do I count that all joy? Well, here's the thing. When, when James talks about counting all joy, he's not talking about like putting some kind of pretend face on. He's not talking about th- th- some kind of pretend fake happiness that you're like, oh, I'm so happy that, that wow, my child is, is, has cancer and I'm so happy. That's not what counting it all joy means. It's not pretending that you're not feeling pain. It's not pretending and sticking your head in the sand going, it's all good, we're okay. It's not that. Counting it all joy is looking at the trial and the suffering through the eyes of faith and to say, what is God going to do in this? What can God do in this? It's it's trusting God. It's having this this expected assurance that God's in the middle of this thing. And whatever may happen, I know God has this in control. That's counting it all joy. So now, James is wrapping up the letter, and he tells us one more thing that we are to do when we are going through suffering. And if you look at James chapter 5, verse 7, what's the first two words say? What's it say? Lift your voice up like you really mean it. Be patient. Now, that's got to be an error, right? God really, he must have not spoken to James correctly when he said that, okay? Um, Scripture's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God, and, and through the Holy Spirit, James writes, oh, when you're going through suffering, be patient. How many of you know all in favor? Um, that's a little easier said than done, right? Anybody other than me get a little impatient when you're going through suffering? When you're going through the trial? Anybody other than me sitting there go, God, how much longer? How long is this going to last, God? Because according to my time, um, that should have been done yesterday. But yet, three weeks have passed. Three months have passed. Three years. Three decades. James says to be patient. But the question is, is how do you and I remain patient? Okay, it's great when he says, just be patient. But how do we do that? Well, James actually gives us four practical ways to remain patient when we're going through suffering. When we're going through the trials, here's how you and I remain patient. Here's the first thing. We remain patient when we face trials by doing this. I have to set my heart on the fact that Jesus is coming back. 
set my heart on the fact that Jesus is coming back. So he says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early rains and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he says twice there, here's how you be patient. You need to know that the Lord is coming back. Now, I'm not going to go real deep on this because this was one of my Christmas messages. Um, but how many of you know the Bible, again, um, talks about the coming of the Lord more than twice in the book of James? This is something that the writers of Scripture talks about a lot. All right? Jesus talked about the fact that he's coming back. And I believe it is an assurance for his people. Okay, I believe that we got to know that Jesus is coming back because it's just an assurance of knowing, okay, I can do this. Here's two irrefutable facts that the Bible tells us um, about life. One is this life is not it. This life is coming to an end. James also talked about that in one of our messages, that your life is just like, you know, it's a mist in the air. It's a wave in the ocean, man. It's here for a moment, then gone. This life is going to come to an end, all right? And here is the other irrefutable fact is that Jesus is coming back, okay? Now, here's the thing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to meet Jesus one of two ways. One, you will die, okay? Whether that's at the age of 30 or the age of 95, you're gonna die and you will meet Jesus. That's a great day, isn't it? Because when you die and you meet Jesus, guess what's over? This life. Guess what's done? The suffering, the pain, the hurt, the trial, done, all right? You will be with Jesus. But here's the second way you may meet Jesus, the rapture, okay? The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that there's going to come a day where Jesus is going to return, but partially. This is, the rapture is actually the next prophetic event on the prophetic calendar. There's nothing else prophetically that needs to happen. The only prophetic event that, needs to re, that remains to still be done is the return of Christ at the rapture. And at the rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is that Jesus is going to ascend, de descend partway from heaven. And with the trump of God, he is going to blast it and he's going to call his church home. Wow, that was a great spot for an amen. You all missed that one. Okay. He's going to call his church home. And what is going to happen is when he says, come up here. First is, those who have already died in Christ, their bodies is going to be resurrected, and the body and their spirit is going to come back together in the air. And then it says, those of us who are still alive are going to be caught up with them in the air and return back to heaven. That's a great day, because at the rapture, guess what's done? Your suffering, your trials, your pain, done, all right? So you will either meet Jesus in death or in the rapture. And then in the, after the rapture happens, for seven years, that tribulation is going to take place on this earth. And then at the end of the tribulation period is when in, in Revelation chapter 19, it says that Jesus is coming back completely. And he will set his foot once again upon this earth. But this time, it's not going to be a servant. It's going to be his king. It's not going to be a, like a lamb. It's going to be the lion. 
And he will, set, he will put his foot once again. And in the book of Zechariah says that he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives and he will split it in half. And at that moment, Revelation 19 tells us that he will establish his kingdom upon this earth for a thousand years. And we will be upon this earth with him for a thousand years. And then at the, at, at the end of the thousand year reign, according to the book of Revelation chapter 19, is the great white throne judgment, the final judgment. And then Revelation chapter 20 tells us that a new heaven and a new earth is going to be created. And you and I will dwell with Christ forever and ever. The holy city will come down and we will be with God. God will be with us. He will be our God and we will be his people. And guess what's going to be gone? Pain, suffering, trials, all of it done. Okay? But guess what we have to be right now? Patient. We remain patient until the Lord comes or until he takes you home. You see, that's why James gives us the illustration of a farmer. Continuing in verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You know, imagine a farmer. I mean, we're not living in Chicago or L.A., and we got to kind of, what? we live in Illinois, folks. We understand the principle of sowing and reaping. We understand you don't have to be a farmer, but we all live here, and we know what farming means, Okay. You never see a farmer go out in April with his big tractor, with the, with the, 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 the sower, what I don't even see. I live in Illinois, I don't even know what it's called, okay? The, the planter behind them, the sower. <laughs> the planter putting those seeds in. And you don't see the farmer going out three weeks later ripping up the ground. Because he's like, I, I put it in here, where's it at? You don't see him when that corn's only a foot high ripping it up. Why? Because he knows. Harvest isn't here yet. And he waits through April and May and June and July and August and September. And then he starts to see that corn and those beans turn color. They're drying out. And the farmer knows harvest is near. And he waits patiently through those hot summer months. He waits patiently and he lets the rain come. He lets the sun do its job. He lets the crop grow. He lets the corn grow, the beans grow. He lets it continue to do what it needs to do. And then come October, it's, not a lot, it's no longer the planter. He gets that combine out. And he starts picking the corn. He starts picking the beans. And he has his harvest. You see, James is trying to under, give us an illustration of like, you are a spiritual farmer. Right now, we are waiting patiently for the return of our, of our Lord. We are waiting patiently for the Lord either to take us home or rapture us out of here. But in the meantime, while we are here on this earth, we wait patiently. Just like a farmer, we wait patiently, knowing the Lord is at hand. Okay? That's why even if you look at, at verse uh, 9, the end of verse 9, the judge, meaning Christ, is standing at the door. I love that, that, that imagery. You know, Jesus is standing at the door. He, he's waiting to open it, to walk through it. He's at the threshold. He is there. But we wait patiently. Because just like a farmer knows, I wait patiently because the harvest is coming. He waits patiently because he knows what I am going to get. You see, that's why you and I, when we're going through the trials, 
When we're going through the storm, when you're going through the pain, when you're going through the hurt, when you're going through it, I don't know about you, but I think what we're going, the world's in a mess. And there's a lot of problems we're going through. And it would just, it's like, how many people though quit and give up? How many Christians have just, you know, even in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the, the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage believers. And he's like, encourage all the more. Encourage everybody as you see the Lord approaching. Because in the book of Hebrews, Christians were doing this. I'm done. Done. Can't take it. I can't take the persecution. I can't take the suffering. I can no longer be thrown in prison. I can no longer see my family. I can't take it. I don't want it anymore. I'm done. And how many Christians are walking away from the Lord because of the temporary suffering that we're going through and they are not going to see the reward because they've walked away. And they said, I don't want it. It's too hard. It's too much. No matter what you're going through, understand, as Paul writes about, your present circumstances are temporary. In light of eternity, they are temporary. Yeah, you may think now, but it's 90 years, Jim, and I've been suffering with this for three decades, four decades. It is temporary. In light of eternity, it is so small. That's why we don't quit. That's why we hang in there. That's why we keep praising God. We keep worshiping God. We keep rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because he is coming. And I wait patiently. You know, one of the things about preaching, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, is you have people go, you know what? We've been saying that for a long time, Jim. Jesus is coming. We sound like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Jesus is coming. When's he coming? You know, Peter actually talks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he, he says this. He says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's no different. People are, well, you keep saying Jesus is coming, but yet another year flips off the calendar. Another decade has gone by. We keep saying, well, this could be the generation. I don't see it, Jim. Well, here's the thing. Peter continues in chapter 3, and he says this. But do not overlook this one fact. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow and to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. You see, you and I, we think and go, well, Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and the writers of scriptures 2,000 years ago have been repeating and, and banging this one drum, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, and here we are 2,000 years, and Jesus has not come back. So I don't get it, Jim. If Jesus is coming back, why is 2,000? You and I think 2,000 years has gone by. You and I see that. But guess what 2,000 years has not been with? The Lord. Because there is no time with God. God is timeless. So he's not up there watching the clock, okay? The doomsday clock is not in heaven. He's not like, oh, we're almost at midnight, time to go. No. With Christ, there is no time. 
So guess what? For Jesus and for God, it's like a day has passed. A couple days. But for humanity, 2,000 years has passed. But not with God. You see, with Christ, if there is no time, it is right now. You and I feel like it has been forever. But another question we can ask is, well, if the world is in such bad shape and God loves his believers and, 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 and why does he let them go through this so long? Why is he delaying so long? Why, why is he not like, okay, man, the world is really spinning out of control. Time to go back. Well, I think, again, Second Peter tells us and gives us the answer. The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you want to know why God delays? Because here's the thing. When he comes back, the window and the door of grace is shut. Right now, we are living in the age of grace, the age of God's compassion, the age of God's mercy, okay? But here's the thing. Um, the judgment of God is going to be revealed again, and that's what that tribulation period is going to be. And for right now, God is giving people time and time and time to come to repentance. Let me ask you, if you know Jesus Christ, are you glad that he gave you time? Do you have loved ones, family members, friends who don't know Christ? I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm, I, want the, I want the second coming of Christ so bad. I want the rapture. But I know there's people in my life that need more time. And I pray that the window that is still open, they go through it. And maybe you have people in your life that you know they need time. And the window's going to close on them. But the Lord is patient with us. And, and he's going to come back. He's returning. And we just don't know when it is. That's why we got to be ready now. And so if you have people in your life that don't know Christ, you need to be praying for them. You need to be inviting them to church. You need to be taking advantage of, hey, we got an Easter service coming up here in a couple months. Invite them to church. Take advantage of being able to share, the, share your faith with someone. Jesus is coming back. And God is being patient. And while we're on this side of heaven, we also need to be patient. Here's the second thing about how to be patient when facing trials. I need to control my emotions so my words won't be hurtful. I need to control my emotions so my words won't be hurtful. Look at verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you, so you may not be judged. Do not grumble against one another. That word grumble means to complain strongly in an excessive manner. And it can also be a complaint that implies blame. Okay? So, um, so what James is talking about, when you are grumbling against 
one another, you're complaining about your life problems to other people, or you're blaming other people, or to the degree you can even blame God for what's going on in your life. Let me ask you, do you ever get frustrated when you're going through a trial? Going through the storm, going through the pain? Do you ever, do you feel your, ever feel your emotions get out of whack? I know I do. Do you ever just feel the anger? Do you ever just feel the discouragement? Do you ever just feel like, man, what is wrong? Why, is, why are we going through this? Now let me ask you. When you are feeling the emotion, when you're feeling like just, you can just feel that, I, I just know something's just, I'm out of whack. Do you ever see your words get out of whack? Do you ever take your frustration out on those who you love? You ever take them out on your coworkers? Ever take them out on your family, on your spouse, on your children? Because you are frustrated about what's happening in your life. You're frustrated over the pain. You're frustrated over the, 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 the problem, the, the, the trial, the storm, whatever it is. You're, you, you, you've been like, you know, you're not, you haven't been patient. You've been getting really worked up. You've been wanting this thing done and over, and it's not. And, and, and you just feel the emotions. You feel the anger. You feel the disappointment. You feel the discouragement. And before you know it, man, all you can say is everything negative about life. You, you sit around and you complain about how bad everything is. You're, you, you just Every time you're with someone, you're just complaining. You're grumbling, griping. Just how bad it is, how, how, how wrong this is. And yet, like, I don't understand God. Why is he doing this? And you just, you just keep pouring it out. You get frustrated at, at your wife, at your husband, at your children. You're, 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 you're just you're spewing things at work. You're hurting people with your words. Why? Because from the overflow of your discouragement and your disappointment, your anger about the situation, it flies off on other people. Your emotions completely out of check look at verse 12 he says but above all brothers do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no no that you may not fall under condemnation this is really James just is giving us that listen you gotta you gotta be able to speak and talk in a way that is under control because um, how easy is it to just spew the ungodliness out of our mouth? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. But let me ask you, does your mouth ever become ungodly through a storm? Do you ever notice that, man, when I'm going through it, when life is getting hard, all of a sudden, the things coming out of my mouth are not very Christ-like. I'm actually sounding more like I used to be before I, I knew Christ than now as a believer. And, and my words are just really venomous and they're just hurtful. And, and that's why he's like, man, listen, don't be like, oh, I just swear to God. He's like, listen, you need to be under control. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Let this thing be under control. And the reason why you and I got to let this thing be under control, notice what he says there. In verse 12, he says, let your yes be yes, your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. That word condemnation actually means judgment. And in fact, if you go up back up to verse 9, he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us, 
um, that you and I will give an account for every careless word. I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail miserably at judgment. I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus is going to go, are you kidding me? These were the words that you said. And I'll give an account for those. Guess what? So will you. You're going to give an account for every careless word that came out of your mouth. Every careless word you spoke to a child, to your spouse, to a coworker. And here's the thing. Careless words just aren't, you know, profanity. Careless words are Negative. Every time I'm just speaking negative about life. I'm not speaking about the truth of God and, and faith in God, but I'm just how bad everything is and how negative everything is and how depressed I am and how, how, how wrong I feel I just been. Careless words. And James is saying, listen, you need to control those emotions. Doesn't mean, again, we're not pretending. We're not acting like our emotions aren't real, but we got to learn how to control them so they're not coming out of our mouths. So, being patient. We need to set our heart on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Control our words, our emotions, so our words won't be hurtful. Here's the third thing. Third thing we need to do to be patient in trials. Shift my attention from myself to the lives of God's servants. I need to shift my attention from myself to the lives of God's servants. Look at verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he's, he's like, okay, I know you guys are suffering and I know you're going through it, but when you're going through it, you can't just focus on your own pain. Because how many of you know, once I start fixing my thoughts and everything, my attention only on my own pain, how many of you know, man, that's a, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down? Because the more I focus on myself, all I can see is my problem, my pain, my hurt, the trial, the storm. And that's when all of a sudden, guess what? My emotions are out of whack and I'm speaking just everything wrong and I'm impatient. It's just my life just spirals out of control. And so he's giving them an encouragement. He goes, hey, let me give you an example of people who suffered. But they were also patient. He goes, go back to the Old Testament and look at these people. Look at the prophets like Jeremiah. Look at the, the prophets that, that when they tried to speak the truth of God's word, um, they were beaten. And they were thrown in prison. And, and, and they suffered. But man, they, they remained patient. You see, what he's trying to do is to get them their focus off their problem and get their focus on the word of God. He's trying to get them focused off the, the horizontal and get them focused focus on the vertical. He's trying to get them focused off just what's happening in my life to get them focused on what can God do in this thing. Because how many of you know when I'm focused only on the pain and my problem and, and everything... My focus has shifted. I'm no longer focused on what God is doing, what God can do, and my faith in him, but I'm just only on the problem and the pain. You know, in the book of Romans, chapter 15, 
It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. You see, this is why, you know, when, we, when we're going through the pain, through the suffering, through those trials, we need to be reading God's word. Because for us, you know, in, Pete, in James's time, they just had the Old Testament. They had the books of the prophets. They had the Psalms and things like that. They could read those. But for us, we've got the New Testament and the Old Testament. We can read about the suffering of Paul. I don't know about you, but boy, read that boy's life. He suffered. He got to a point in 2 in in, in Corinthians, he's like, man, I got to the point where I just wanted to die. He was just like, I just wanted God to just get me out of here. He go, but he was like, but, but then I realized I'm going through this not to rely on myself, but I could rely on the strength of God. You see, when you and I, we get back into the scripture and we see how these people suffered, how they endured. Sometimes you just need to go back and just read How did they respond? How was their faith? Read some of the prayers they prayed. Go back and read some of the kings when they were the the, the kings of Judah and Israel when they were facing armies coming against them. I love the, the prayer of Jehoshaphat. He's just like, God, I don't know what to do here. Man, we are surrounded by a horde, and it is they are going to kill us. But man, God, my eyes are on you. And he's just like pouring his heart out to God. That's a great prayer to read. Now, here's the thing. When you go back to scripture and you read about these people, always remember this one thing. They were not like super spiritual Marvel characters. All right? They weren't on the Avengers or anything like that. These people were just men and women. I love, you know, Dusty brought... Uh, the, the passage just right after this, and it talks about Elijah, verse 17. It says, Elijah had a nature just like ours. Because when you go back and you read about Elijah, Elijah did some awesome stuff for God. All right? I haven't been able to bring down fire lately and destroy all my enemies, but he did. He was just like, bringing it down. Elijah was a powerful man of God. But here's the thing he also got depressed, he got scared. He lost faith, man. He was just, and James is just telling us he was a dude. He was just a man, but he had uncanny faith. The people in the Old Testament, Paul, James, Peter, the the apostles, guess what? They were just men like us. Same kind of nature, man. Tempted, doubted, feared, struggled, Wanted God just to take them home. They just had, they, they wrestled with the same emotions, wrestled with the same things you and I wrestle with. But they had a faith in God. And they were just like, man, no matter what happens, God will trust you. And sometimes you and I just need to get back into God's word when you're going through the pain. You're in the storm, you're in the trial, you're just, and it's just going on and on and on. You need to just get back to some of these people in scripture and just be like, you know what? If they can do it, if they made it, if they were patient and persevered, so can I. Because they were just like me, just a person. 
Just man, just woman, same nature, same fears, same problems, same everything. But they just trusted God. And the, that, that's the question you and I can be like. Can we be like David in Psalm 45? Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in God. And that's where you and I got to be. And that's how you and I are patient. Get back into the word of God and let him show you these people. And then here's the last thing about what we need to do when we're, how to be patient in trials. And it's this, remind myself about the sovereignty and character of God. There are times where I simply need to remind myself about the sovereignty and the character of God. Again, verse 11, he says, Behold, we have considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, and the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The purpose of the Lord, he's talking about the sovereignty of God. The Lord's purposes, here's what God is doing. And then the, the compassion and the mercifulness of God is the character of God. He's just kind of saying, man, here's what you got to see. You got to see the sovereignty of God and you got to see the, 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 the character of God in everything. And he, he gives again an example of Job. You know, remember who Job's life was like. Okay, if you haven't read the book of Job, you don't know who Job was, you can go back and read about him. But here's, here's, the, here's the cliff notes. Job... God allowed um, some really hard things to come into Job's life. He, he lost his finances. He had a major health crisis. And all of his children were killed, were killed. In a matter of about three minutes. I don't know about you, but that would drive me to a point of going, is this really worth it? It did Job's wife. Because Job's wife got to a point where she's like, I'm done with this, Job. Why don't you just curse your God and let's just die? Because I'm done. I'm out of here, man. I'm... No, you can, you can worship your God, but I'm not. And in fact, if you were smart, you would just curse him. She was done. But Job, in chapter 2, he looks at her and he's like, that's the most foolish thing I could ever hear. Because can we only accept good from God? And not adversity. He's like, if I'm going to worship God, I got to, I got to be able to believe in his sovereignty for everything. Good, bad, valley, mountaintop, money coming in, money going out. Good health, bad health. I don't know what it is, but I got to just let God be God. Again, you and I have got to always be able to be, come back to that. God is sovereign. You and I are not God. You and I will not stand in front of God and give God our two cents. You're not going to give God a piece of your mind. You will bow before God. Why? Because he is still God and creator. We are creation. And we got to always remember, God is God and free to do what he wants to do. But as humans, we have a hard problem with that. Because we think, no, no, no. God needs to come down to my level. And we try to make God in our image. And we try to make God come down to our level and if we can make God into our level he is not God and the moment we can put God on a pedestal the moment we can put him on a mantle the moment we can start to tell God what to do he's not God God is God and whether we like it or not whether we think it's right or not 
whether we think it's fair or not. God at any moment can look at you and say, give me back my breath. That's my breath. You are the one I created. And everything in our life is not ours. We got to remember that God is sovereign. And can we come back as Jesus said in the garden? And, and Dusty said this last week. Your will be done. Not mine. We got to be able to trust in the sovereignty of God. But also we got to know and remind myself of the character of God. He says the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, as a believer in Christ, you're going to go through life and you're going to hear two messages. The message of God's word and the lie of the enemy. And the question is, is which one do you believe? You see, when we're going through the trials, when you're going through the storm, when you're going through the pain, when you're going through the hurt, you're going through the financial crisis, you're going through the health crisis, a loved one dies, someone has cancer, whatever it may be, you're going through it, you're going to hear two messages. One, God loves you. And God has a plan through this. God knows what he's doing. And God is still compassionate and he is still merciful. You're going to hear the truth of God's word or you will hear God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God is not compassionate and God is not merciful. Because if he was compassionate, if he was loving, you would not be in this. He would not have let your child die. He would not have let your wife have cancer. He would not let you have lost your job. If he truly cared about you, life would be good. And the problem is when we're going through the pain and the hurt, and the, we have to decide, what am I going to listen to? Am I listening to the lie or am I going to listen to the truth? Am I going to take the lie and go, I hear that lie, but I'm going to insert truth into it and allow the truth of God's word to permeate my thoughts, to permeate my emotions, to permeate everything about me. So that way, now, does that mean that you may not have days where you doubt? Does that mean that you're not going to have days, days where you, you wonder and why and they ask and no, you're going to have days. God, why? You're going to have days. God, do you really care? Because God, it just seems like my life is unraveling right now. But that's where you and I keep coming back to the word. We keep reminding ourselves, God is still good. He is compassionate and he is merciful. I want to close with this old hymn that I came across. And just, you know, just listen to these words. It's a hymn entitled, God Will Take Care of You. And I want to just close with this. It says, be not dismayed. I, I decided to read this instead of uh, sing it because y'all would not want me to sing it. So I'm, I'm just going to read it, okay? And if anybody says amen, you're going to be escorted out. <laughs> People at home going, amen, no singing. You can't touch me, man. But here's what it says. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Through days of toil when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. 
God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. All you may need, he will provide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you will take care of us. We thank you, God, that on this side of heaven, even though we go through the storms, the trials, the suffering, we know, Father God, that you are still sovereign through it all. And we know, Father, that your word is truth and it tells us that you are still good and loving and compassionate. You are still merciful. God, help us to be believers in Christ who remain patient through the storm, patient through the trial, patient through the suffering. Help us to wait on you, knowing that, Jesus, you're either going to call us home or you're going to rapture us home. Help us to remain patient, Lord. Help us to be like that farmer that sows the seed, waiting with anticipation, knowing the harvest is coming. Jesus, this life is not it. It is fading. It is but a mist in the wind. Oh, Lord, we're just aliens here. And Lord, Paul tells us that these trials, the storms, the suffering that we go through are light and momentary compared to the, uh, the glory that we're going to experience one day. Lord, whether it's 30 years, 50, 100, it doesn't matter how many years we have in the flesh. They are just, they pale in comparison to the eternity that we will experience on the new heaven and the new earth. The day that, Lord God, you will wipe away every tear. The day, Lord God, that you will, you will say to us, there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more death, for the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. So Father, help us. Help those who are suffering right now. Lord, help us as we watch our world just seems to be spinning out of control. Help us, God, to remain steadfast and patient and wait on you. And help us to know, God, you will take care of us. And we thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.